Well, welcome to another Super Tuesday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. We're going to talk politics. We're going to talk end times. Heck, we're even going to talk Armageddon. Uh, <laughs> did that get your attention? And if that weren't enough, we also have Victor Davis Hansen queued up and ready to go. Now, one of these days, we are going to get Victor on the program. Um, but until we do, uh, we take the pride of the Central Valley very, very seriously. And uh, anytime Victor Davis Hansen has something to share about what's happening in the culture, I am all ears. And last night I came across a clip on YouTube of Victor basically giving a 15-minute summary as to why the middle class is so important, number one, and why elites want to see the middle class destroyed, number two. And for you and me and everybody else who's in the middle class, regardless of what they say here in the People's Republic of California, you remember we, we did that, this is several years ago. We knock down the different class structures with regard to who pays what in taxes and how much income people have. And it was very, very interesting to see how incomes in the People's Republic of California boil down. Because whenever you hear someone saying, we've got to get the wealthy to pay their fair share, and then we look at the rich and say, well, they actually pay more than their fair share in terms of actual dollars and percentage of income and taxes. Um, we do run into, uh, you know, a bit of a snub in terms of, well, how do you define people who are so-called middle class and average and whatever? If you look at the, this is, this data is a couple years old. So I, I realized that I'm, I'm going to be sharing some numbers with you that you might be able to Google on your own and find a different, you know, breakdown of the numbers. But there's something fascinating that happens to California incomes anywhere between $60,000 a year and over $150,000 a year. Okay, here, here's basically what happens. The percentage of people in California who basically have no income, their income is $20,000 a year or less, is like 5 to 10% of the population. And then the percentage of people who have income anywhere from twenty dollars to $40,000, again, relatively small. Forty to $60,000, that's where... Now, you've got something like 40 to 45% of all Californians have taxable income of $60,000 per year or less. You ask, how could that possibly be? And the reason, I mean, how do you live in California on less than $60,000 a year? The rest of it is made up with government subsidies. Your health care is paid for, your school lunches are paid for, your transportation to and from work is, is su uh, subsidized. I was surprised years ago living in a condo complex. It was the first condo I was ever able to scrape together a few bucks and buy. And I had a neighbor who was giving me, I mean, she was learning me with regard to school lunch programs and all the freebies. She got a computer from the state and it wasn't that she necessarily needed it. She qualified for it based on her income. She was getting child support and alimony, a part-time job, and she played the game very, very carefully. Yes, there is, a, I won't mention anybody by name, but yes, there is a black market for selling EBT cards and school lunch cards and school lunch bus passes and all. I mean, there's a myriad of opportunities that people who quote unquote don't have enough income get from the state and from the federal government. That is a huge disincentive for them to work. And, and I'm not saying this like, oh, those people, this, uh, trust me. I mean, I had a neighbor. <laughs> she was very, very enlightening many years ago as to how many opportunities there are. And you'd be amazed at the number of people. I, a very dear friend who worked with us in the Crawford Broadcasting System for many years, single mom, 
literally the first time she, when she started to work for Crawford, single mom, she was getting some subsidies. She was offered a promotion. She actually earned the promotion. And I remember one day she pulled me aside and said, I don't know what to do. I said, what do you mean? She goes, well, if I take this promotion, even though it comes with a pay increase, because it pushes me into a different income category, I'll lose almost every subsidy I have. The net effect is I will actually take a pay cut to get this promotion. And I went, wow, that's heavy duty. I mean, that's really heavy duty to put somebody in a situation where they have to choose between food on the table, a roof over their head or whatever, but the government wants you to be in that situation. In California, approximately, I want to say 30 to 40% of taxpayers earn $60,000 a year or less. And then there's this huge gap where people then jump. If you're making less than $60,000, you are being subsidized. If you're making eighty dollars to $90,000, you are now, we have a new name for you. It's you're, you're a Californian who moves to Texas. You're, Cal, you're, you're a Tennessean. That, that's who you are at that point. But then once again, if you're making $140,000, $150,000, all of a sudden you can handle California. So it is really, truly amazing to see there are some super wealthy people in California. There are some not super wealthy people in California, but the middle class has effectively been almost eliminated from the Golden State. And Victor Davis Hanson is going to break down how that happened and why that's what elites want. Don't listen to that progressive Democrat who says, we need a strong middle class. Remember President 44? shovel-ready jobs and a strong middle class and good manufacturing, blah, 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 did not mean a word of it. On his watch, the top 0.1%, the super wealthy, got even super wealthier. And the middle class fell further into oblivion. Now, this is not just a class warfare type of thing we're talking about. There's a reason why the elites want the middle class to go away, why they don't want home ownership. They love the idea that middle class college students are saddled with so much debt. I've got three college degrees and a ton of student loan debt. That's exactly the recipe the Democrats want for you, that the left wants for you. So when it comes to election time, well... You know, all the seats of the Congress are up for grabs. The president's, the White House is up for grabs. Uh, but there will, be, there will also be 34 U.S. Senate seats on the ballot. I mean, every, they're six-year terms. So 34 this time and then 33 and 33. 33 and 26 and 33 and 28. Of those Senate seats that are up for grabs, 20 of them are held by Democrats, three by independents who basically vote Democrat, and 11 are held by Republicans. Of the 20 seats that are held by incumbent Democrats right now, eight of these states are defined, the Epic Times calls them um, competitive. Uh, there's a group called Inside Elections that ranks these. There are three Senate Democrats in states, one by former President Donald Trump, which are West Virginia, Montana, and Ohio. And those are competitive as in just because the senator there is a democrat doesn't mean the republicans can't flip those seats now if the republicans flip all three of those seats they have an, an instant majority if they hold if they hold serve everywhere else now of the 11 senate seats that are currently held by gop republicans all of them are listed as securely red the only one that seems to be up in the air right now 
Well, there are two. Um, Ted Cruz seeking a third term in Texas. Inside Elections calls this a battleground Republican state, which means the Democrat who runs against Ted Cruz will be competitive. In Utah, Mitt Romney, rhino, uh, may run again, may not run again. If he does run again, he could face a pretty stiff challenge. Now, the three independent states, uh, the states with the independent thing, they caucus with Democrats. I mean, Bernie Sanders is a Democrat. Angus King of Maine, also Democrat. Uh, Bernie Sanders has not formally announced he's running for re-election, but if he does run, he'll win. Uh, the third independent is Kristen Cinema in Arizona. 2018, she was elected as a Democrat in December of 2022. After all the election nonsense there, she basically said, I'm independent. She is not seeking re-election that we know of. If she does run again, uh, they, there are lots of Democrat and Republican hopefuls that are already tossing their hat in the ring. So, I mean, Carrie Lake might be one of them. But it is conceivable that all 11 GOP-held Senate seats are basically safe. They might lose one, but close to nine of the 23 incumbent Democrats could be, uh, we could see a huge swing in those elections. What will happen if that happens? Well, uh, uh, Epic Times put together a list of who's going to do what, and I'll go ahead and put that up at thebottomlineshow.com. You can take a look at it. But here's what happens. If Republicans actually wind up controlling the Senate and they hold their lead in the House, regardless of who is in the White House, it will create a two-year stalemate. Well, actually, a four-year stalemate. And that, well, I'm going to put this on biblical uh, blast. In 2016, prior to the presidential election, I've shared this story before, I met with a very influential Christian leader. You hear his radio program here on Bottom Line Show stations all across the country. Um, I, I have it on good authority, obviously, that he was connected to people in the White House, even to the ticket that uh, was running Trump and Pence back in 2016. And we had a conversation and I asked him, you know, what do you think of Donald Trump? And he goes, well, not my cup of tea. What do you think of Mike Pence? Oh yeah, he'd be a good guy to have in the White House. And then I asked him, I said, what do you think of the election? Is this going to be a Cyrus situation where God takes an ungodly man and uses him for godly purpose? And he said, I'm telling you what, if Donald Trump wins the 2016 election, I believe that means God's giving us four more years in the church to get our act together, to get our house in order. Because by 2020, all bets are off. We don't know if he'll give us another four years or not. And the fact that Donald Trump lost the 2020 election on kind of shaky circumstances, I think, well, I'm, God's not surprised by the outcome of any election. I think the church has gotten more engaged in the culture. The church has gotten more engaged in sharing the good news. But the church has also woken up to the fact, as George Barna shared with us, that I mean, the pandemic was in full swing. And now, because the pandemic is, you know, is, is now officially over, thanks to the New York Times, we have taken some huge leaps toward getting us toward the end times. Colonel David Jamona and author Troy Anderson have written several of what they call these military guides to um, helping out people in the body of Christ understand what it's like to live strategically. Uh, Colonel Jamora retired from the U.S. Army as a chaplain 
2018, he had served 32 years. He's an end times expert, a scholar, author, and writer. He's a host of Frontline and President of Battle Ready Ministries. And then Troy Anderson, his writing partner, Pulitzer Prize nominated investigative journalist. They've written a book called The Military Guide to Armageddon, Battle-Tested Strategies to Prepare Your Life and Soul for the End Times. They actually published it in 2021. The book came out literally the day before the so-called insurrection. But I want to revisit this conversation because you and I have a lot to learn from these guys about the times we're living in, why your vote is different, why the way you invest your tax dollars is different, why where you live is different. Not that we're running away from anything. I mean, God is, Jesus Christ is returning. God always gets his way. He is sovereign. We have nothing to fear there. But how do we handle ourselves in what are basically becoming the end times? Uh, Troy Anderson and Colonel David Jamora uh, talk about, Jamona rather, talk about uh, the military guide to Armageddon and battle-tested strategies to prepare your life and soul for the end times. That's coming up next as the bottom line continues. What do you mean by the fact that I have a 401k time bomb? Eventually, this thing is going to implode and you're going to have to pay the government. And so one guy was totally shocked when I told him, that look, if you leave this right now, your IRA, to your three sons, each one of them will have to declare it and pay taxes on it immediately over the next 10 years. He says, well, they don't need the money. I said, well, government doesn't care if they need the money. They're going to pay taxes on it. And that's what I mean by the fact that you're going to pay taxes. I had a guy say, did dad really leave me this? I said, yeah, he did. He didn't even know that they changed the law. Most people don't know that they've changed the law. And so it is a horrible situation, especially when there's ways you can mitigate it and not have it be so bad for the family and have it be better off for you. That's what I mean. We try to take the tick out of the ticking time bomb. Your 401k is a ticking tax time bomb. Leave a legacy for your heirs, not a tax bill. Call Dennis Wilson and his team today. 800-696-9970. 800-696-9970. Wilson Financial Services for simply better alternatives. Well, it's interesting how the last presidential term uh, ended with people saying, you know, isn't it amazing? It's great. You know, the President Trump was the first president in how many years to not get us into a new war? And people thought, well, that's a really great thing to say. But if you take a look around us, he may not have gone and said, we're going to declare war in a certain country, but there is definitely a war that's happening in the world right now. It's spiritual warfare. And uh, the forces of light and darkness are basically, they're, they're lining up and getting closer and closer all the time to the end of the age. How do we as Christians respond? Joining me today on the bo bottom line are a couple of guys who've written a brand new book that will help you understand uh, using some battle-tested military strategies to prepare for the end. It's called The Military Guide to Armageddon, Battle-Tested Strategies to Prepare Your Life and Soul for the End Times. The authors, co-authors of the book are Colonel David uh, Giamona and Troy Anderson, and they join me here to have a conversation about the book. Uh, David, Troy, welcome to the Bottom Line Show. Rogers, great to be with you. Hi, uh, Rogers, great to be on your show. Appreciate having you both. Colonel, uh, U.S. Army Chaplain Colonel David Giamona uh, retired a couple of years ago after 32 years of military service. He's an end times expert, a scholar, an author, writer, and speaker who oversees Warrior Refuge, which is a ministry resort near Columbus, Georgia. Troy Anderson, Pulitzer Prize nominated investigative journalist, co-author of The Babylon Code and Trump 
the Trump Trump apocalypse. Did I say that right? That was the Paul McGuire book. Uh, yeah. Let's take let's take a look at what's going on here first and foremost. And uh, uh, Colonel, I'll start with you. Um, military sure. guide lets people know that this is something that uh, has some battle strategies here. You've got the unique perspective of being a colonel in the military, but also uh, serving as a chaplain for many years. Talk about how your training in both of those areas uh, really equips you properly to be the guy to write a book like this. Well, yeah, that's a great question. After 32 years in the military and over 45 years as an ordained minister, um, it was uh, the Lord that put those things together and, uh, you know, spoke to me about, you know, beginning to write a book on how the war uh, that we have been in since the fall of mankind has been going on for thousands of years. But many believers don't realize there are spiritual warfare, darkness uh, going on. But the, lat- the battle lines have been drawn in these end times, and people are beginning to see very clearly that we are at war, and things are closing in quickly, and we need to be what we call battle-ready. And that's what we talk about in the book. You know, being battle-ready, of course, for a lot of people gives them that kind of sense of saying, oh, gosh, I don't want to have to be hand-to-hand combat. I'll be happy to pray for people and you missionaries and other people, pastors. You go ahead and do the heavy work. Troy, what was it like for you kind of bringing a, kind of a layman approach to this saying, okay, I'm going to come alongside what David is is doing with his military training and his pastoral training, but also be able to put it into language that we could understand? You know, when uh, when the colonel first got a hold of me in uh, early 2018, the the thought occurred to me because I've written these first two books, the Babylon Code, Trump Apocalypse. Mm-hmm. Uh, the thought occurred to me if America and the church will listen to anybody about the dangers we're facing, about Bible prophecy, about the end times, they'll listen to a U.S. Army chaplain and colonel. Because I knew about these Gallup polls that say like you know 70, 80 percent Americans highly respect the military far more than other professions, mm-hmm. and so so I agreed to help him write this book. And uh, and it sort of it took me through what's called the making of a warrior process. They had this thing in the military where they take you from uh, essentially you know, a civilian into a soldier. And so the book is designed to sort of take you through that process using you know biblical wisdom, biblical insights, spiritual warfare, you know, putting on the full armor of God, that kind of thing. So it's it's been transformative in, in my life too. I'm talking with Troy Anderson and Colonel David Giamona today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. The book is called The Military Guide to Armageddon, Battle-Tested Strategies to Prepare Your Life and Soul for the End Times. And we've got a link for this very, very popular book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Colonel uh, Giamona, let's talk about the the military side of this for just a moment. Many of us would think about the end times, Armageddon, stuff like that, and we just kind of put somebody else there on the front lines doing the fighting. Um, Talk about where we are from your vantage point. I mean, you've seen a lot of what's happening in military operations. We're not trying to figure out the purpose of this conversation, obviously, is not to try to figure out the day and the time and the hour and all that type of stuff. But what signs are you seeing in the culture right now that lead you to believe that we have taken steps? It feels like we're moving a lot closer to it. But what, what, what signs can you give us as evidence that you're saying, okay, from my perspective, militarily and pastorally, we're getting a lot closer. Well, I mean, the greatest sign that many scholars point to is Israel becoming a nation in, on May 14, 1948, after, you know, um, 2,000 years of exile around the world. So the fact of the matter is, that sign that Jesus talked about specifically in Matthew 24 and other chapters throughout the New Testament and through the Old Testament all points to the fact that Israel is really the bellwether sign of we are in the last of the last days. Uh, we, we see what's going on in the Middle East. 
um, you know, Jerusalem especially. And so we, we're keeping our eyes focused on that and all the other signs that are, you know, verging, converging uh, for the first time in all history. So we know uh, not just Israel, uh, you know, the globalization, you know, the one world government coming together, um, the rise of the Antichrist, all these things. But we're also going to watch the rebuilding of the temple, I believe, in our lifetime as well. So mm. many of these things have come together after 2,000 years, and now we're seeing it all happen, and we're going to continue to see it throughout this next few years. I'll put this out here for both of you guys as we're talking about the uh, military guide to Armageddon. Um, there are people right now who are uh, uh, kind of confused as to who the evangelical church in the United States is. It's always been kind of a big political voting block, but also, I mean, let's not forget, it's the church. And of course, there are denominational churches and, and, and people of faith that way as well. Um, Oftentimes, I think what we've seen over the past decade is a number of people in the body of Christ who've actually been somewhat surprised when people that they thought were Christians, quote unquote, turn out to not be. Um, how do we and how do you guys recommend that we start doing some uh, fruit inspection here to find out who the enemy really is? It's one thing to say it's evil, but yeah. evil takes on, you know, kind of a personification here. How do we do a better job of identifying that? Yeah, that's a great question. Troy, do you want to do that, or you want me to go oh, ahead? Yeah, go ahead. Well, first and foremost, you know, Roger, that's a question we don't get asked a lot, but I think it's a very valid question. Uh, Franklin Graham the other day was pointing to an uh, evangelical group that uh, did abort, uh, did a adoption agency, big evangelical block, and block, and decided to add on you know, LGBTQ and other types of, of uh, parents of that. So who is the enemy? Uh, you know, the enemy is inside the church as well as outside the church. And the fruit of those spirit is, aren't we following the Bible or are we following culture? And that's the separation of the, of the sheep and the goats here in these end times. Mm -hmm. If you're going to follow culture uh, as a group, as a church— then you're going to miss out on what the Bible is really speaking about. And we've got to hold to the biblical standard of what, uh, what God is really saying throughout, you know, the whole Scripture, the whole Gospel, the whole truth. So I, um, I would say that that's going to be more and more prevalent as time goes on, as we come to the end of the age and the Second Coming, we're going to see those who are following the culture, they'll follow globalization, they'll follow the Antichrist, and those who are going to st stick to the Word of God. And, you know, you're going to see, Roger, in days to come, it's going to become more and more evident. Yeah, I, I, I resonate with what you're saying so much, uh, Colonel David Giamona, uh, because of the fact that the, the Franklin Graham example is just the latest in a, a long string of examples that we in the body of Christ have to see. And rather than try to go after the court legal system and say, oh, we're going to challenge this and we're going to fight that, take a step back and say, OK, my goodness, this is where the enemy is making some of his greatest inroads. And, and you write about in your battle ready section, you write about kind of the fog of war that sometimes can uh, drag us down a little bit and maybe cloud our vision. Talk about what you mean by that. Well, in war, there's chaos. Um, I haven't, I've been in, you know, a number of battles, a number of wars, starting in desert storm in Saudi Arabia, then in Iraq and Afghanistan and in Central America too, with the Sandinistas. And uh, there isn't a war yet that you go out and it's very crystal clear what's going on. There's a cloud, there's a chaos, there's a fog, and there's a lot of confusion when war really starts to kick off. And that's exactly 
what's going on with us, the fog of war. That's why in these end times and, and why we wrote the Military Guide to Armageddon, we need to get clarity from the Scripture, from the Word of God, from uh, those who we really trust as mentors, pastors, and leaders, and um, you know, go forward together as a team. Yeah, that's key. Uh, the book, as we just discussed, the title is The Military Guide to Armageddon, Battle-Tested Strategies to Prepare Your Life and Soul for the End Times, written by my guest today here on The Bottom Line, uh, Colonel David J. De- David J. Giamona, and also Troy Anderson. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. As we continue, we'll talk about some of the basic training that these two men actually recommend in this brand new book and what it means for us to truly be prepared for the end times since they are coming much sooner than we think. More on my conversation with Colonel David Giamona and Troy Anderson in just a moment as The Bottom Line continues. Welcome back to The Bottom Line, Super Tuesday edition of the program. And yes, We are discussing the Military Guide to Armageddon and some battle-tested strategies to prepare your life and soul for the end times. Is this next election potentially the last one in American politics? I believe it just might be. And uh, Colonel David Giamona, former U.S. Army chaplain, he's uh, an end times expert and he is the founder and president of Battle Ready Ministries, his COO and vice president as Pulitzer Prize nominated investigative journalist Troy Anderson. We're having a discussion today about a book that they published that literally came out the day before January 6, 2021, called The Military Guide to Armageddon, Battle-Tested Strategies to Prepare Your Life and Soul for the End Times perfect book for this uh, election season here on this super tuesday edition of the bottom line show and we have not one but two copies of the book to give away love to place one in your hands 800-227-5278-800-227-5278-800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line again two copies of troy anderson and david jimona's book and uh boy if you have wondered whether or not we in the body of christ we're here. We're definitely at the point where every election now, every legislative session could get us closer to the Lord's return. This is not a hysterical, it's absolutely factual. And this book, The Military Guide to Armageddon, will help you understand why it's important for us to interpret the signs of the times. Two books to give away, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. More of my conversation with David Jamona and Troy Anderson in just a moment as the bottom line continues. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. My guest today for this segment, uh, Colonel David J. Giamona and Troy Anderson. They're the co-authors of a brand new book called The Military Guide to Armageddon, Battle-Tested Strategies to Prepare Your Life and Soul for the End Times. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Uh, Colonel uh, Giamona, U.S. Army chaplain, retired in 2018 after 32 years of military service, more than four decades in pastoral ministry, and is an end times expert, a scholar, author, writer, and speaker. Uh, Troy Anderson, Pulitzer nominated investigative journalist, uh, best-selling co-author of the Babylon Code and Trumpocalypse. We've got links for their information up at thebottomlineshow.com. As we talk about being battle-ready and battle-tested, guys, uh, I wonder if you'd kind of walk us through what specifically that means. I'm sure there are a lot of people who are saying, I think I'm ready, but the events of the last 12 to 18 months make me less certain than I was back then. What does it mean to be battle-ready as we think about uh, the, the upcoming Armageddon? Well, Roger, you know, I thought I was battle ready and I was in war. I was trained in the Army 
and I was running a perimeter wall at Victory Base in Iraq one morning at 5.30 when a sniper almost took me out. Oh, my. And uh, after that, uh, it's written in the book uh, in great detail, but after that, I discovered that I really wasn't as battle-ready as I thought. Uh, and so we have to be very vigilant of who the enemy is, and we got to be vigilant of where we are as Christians. So we need, you know, to become battle-ready, you need to take an inventory, first of all. Where mm-hmm. are you? Where are you spending most of your time? Where are you spending most of your money, your resources? What is it that is priority? And as we say in the book, the center of gravity, the 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 thing that we must understand is Jesus Christ has to be preeminent uh, in our lives, not just priority, but the center of our lives, the priority of our lives beyond just, you know, ordinary priorities. And if Christ is the center, then from, we go out from there. We get our orders from him. We listen to him. We walk in the Spirit. We pray in the Spirit. Our weapons are in the Spirit. And we begin to march with a, the different drumbeat of the power of God. One of the chapters in your new book, guys, uh, in, in the basic, tr- basic training segment, also talks about something that we don't think about. Whenever I think of battles, I think of guys who are up 24-7, they're exhausted, they're hungry, you know, I, I, all of a sudden cue the Mel Gibson voiceover, you know, they're starving, they're half-beaten, you know, whatever, and Braveheart. But, but that really is kind of what we think about. You talk about rest and recuperation being part of spiritual warfare basic training as well. Talk about why that's important. Well, in war, you know, like, for example, I was in Iraq for a year. Um, the Army figured out very quickly over the years since World War II and beyond that if you don't get rest and recuperation, you're not going to be effective. So if you're just strung out and you're tired and you've been battling, uh, the Army sent you for a week or maybe two weeks of R&R and out of the country, out of the battle, so you can get your mind and heart and everything redolent. Ready And it's the same thing with us in this day. You know, you can get too exhausted if you're a pastor, you know, if you're a uh, you know, lay worker, whatever you're doing, and you're burned out, that you won't be any good for the kingdom until you get that rest and relaxation and getting away, getting the peace and getting new focus on life. I'm talking with Troy Anderson and Colonel David Giamona today here on The Bottom Line. Their brand new book is called The Military Guide to Armageddon, Battle-Tested Strategies to Prepare Your Life and Soul for the End Times. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Troy, you mentioned uh, as we were just getting started that this is actually the third book now that you have written in recent times. Was this something that God led you to, you know, in terms of this trifecta of books about Armageddon and the end of the world? I mean, what was your your inspiration? I mean, you mentioned you mentioned that uh, getting the call from David was uh, kind of the impetus for it, but uh, as far as your career goes, because you're you're kind of our eyes and ears from the everyman in uh, this you know this spiritual warfare that we're all dealing with right now. Yeah, Roger, I've been a journalist for uh, three decades. I worked at the LA Daily News for many years, and about a decade ago, I, a friend told me about this prophecy conference at Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills. I went there, and my other co-author, Paul McGuire, was speaking, and he said the world is undergoing the greatest transformation since the Tower of Babel, a coming global government, cashless society, and universal religion. And, he, and when he said that, I flashed back to reading the, the late great planet Earth when I was a kid, mm-hmm. and it yeah. struck me, if this is true, this is the biggest story in the world. So it, it actually, that, that began a decade-long investigation into involving over 200 interviews. I read hundreds of books, went through tens of thousands of pages 
government academic documents, trying to ascertain are we really moving into these end-time events. Uh, you know, I interviewed Billy Graham a few years ago. He said signs of the end of the age are converging for the first time since Jesus made those predictions. And now we got this new LifeWay poll just came out. It says nine in ten pastors now see signs of the end times and current events. So it's been this decade-long investigation into whether this stuff is really happening. And now this is our, our, our new book to help get the, help awaken and prepare the church and, and believers for, uh, for, for what's ahead. Are there some ways that we can tangibly, I mean, obviously I'm recommending people get your book, The Military Guide to Armageddon, and it'll be a great read. It'll be very helpful. But living in a time that is a bit less friendly, I mean, I, I heard one uh, writer describe the culture that we live in in the United States right now as we were a nation that was built on biblical principles, has turned away from God and now blames God for everything. So we've kind of gone from Christian to post-Christian to anti-Christian. I'm sure there are uh, there are some resources that you guys have available that would actually put some feet to faith at more than just reading the book or in addition to reading the book. Well, one thing we've done is we formed a Battle Ready Ministries, and we're now scheduling conferences and spiritual boot camps at churches, camps, retreats, and other venues. So it's like a two-day curriculum, a conference where we take you through this making of a warrior process and you know, essentially what this is all about is learning how to draw closer to the Lord and walk in the supernatural power, protection, and provision of the Holy Spirit. Now, that's going to be the key to, to whatever kind of you know challenges uh, are up ahead for us. I'm talking with Colonel David Giamona and Troy Anderson today here on The Bottom Line. They're the co-authors of the new book, The Military Guide to Armageddon, Battle-Tested Strategies to Prepare Your Life and Soul for the End Times. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Only a couple minutes left in our time together. Uh, David, uh, you retired from a military career, and now you're embarking in something like this that sounds like it's going to be even more daunting and more challenging than the work that you left behind. Talk about how God is energizing and refreshing you to say, I know the challenge is here. I, I know that the enemy is great, but God is greater. Well, you know, when I retired, the last year I retired, 2018, the Lord gave me a vision. Um, I was out at Kerrville, Texas, on, under a 70-foot cross, and the Lord told me to look up in the sky. Up in there, uh, the sky was a lion in the form of a cloud, but it hmm. detailed beyond comparison. And the lion spoke and said, look, I am the lion of the tribe of Judah, prepare the church and warn the world of my coming. I mean, once you get marching orders like that uh, from the Lord himself, then, uh, you know, he energized me. He has empowered me. He has given me his anointing to bring this. Uh, we don't have a lot of time on this planet. Uh, things right. are converging, as Troy said, and we need to get ready now. And the Lord is not just speaking through me, but multitudes of people that I've run into the Lord has given them dreams and visions and things here in these end times that are all we're all converging and saying this is going to be happening. It's a, it's a very interesting and wonderful time that we live in, and I'm I'm just energized about it. Yeah, Troy, it sounds like you've got that same passion too. Talk about uh, what God is showing you. I mean, this is the a new venture and a new ministry for you as well. That's all centered on uh, things that are going to bring about the culmination and the fullness of time. Yeah, I mean, this is just an incredibly uh, an incredible honor, you know, to be involved in this kind of kind of ministry. You know, if you think about, it, this is the most exciting time in history to be a believer. God has put us all here at this time in history where we're watching all these things unfold. You know, the the, the biblical prophets and the disciples, 
Uh, when we get to heaven someday, you know, we'll, we'll ask them about what happened back then, but they'll also ask us about what's happening now. And so we have this unprecedented opportunity. You know, I believe that tens of millions, maybe more, are going to turn to the Lord in the in the months and years ahead. The Pew report came out last week said three in ten people are drawing closer to God during this pandemic. There was a CBN story yesterday saying that, uh, that that more young kids now are going to be going back to church once churches reopen. So there, there's okay. a, the, the Spirit of God is moving. This is a there, there's a movement of repentance and revival that's that's sweeping across the world, and, and and God is God is building His army. He's calling His end times warriors to do the do the work that He's uh, called us all to do. Yeah, well, we're excited, and a resource like yours is going to be a big help and play a huge role in uh, the success of those ministries as well. The Military Guide to Armageddon, Battle-Tested Strategies to Prepare Your Life and Soul for the End Times. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com, co-authored by Colonel David Giamona and Troy Anderson, who have been my guests today. Guys, thanks so much for this ministry and for your time today here on the program. Really appreciate it. Hey, thanks, Roger. God bless. Thank you so much. God bless you. And that concludes our conversation today here on The Bottom Line Show. And that was an interview that I had a chance to record with Colonel David Giamona and also Troy Anderson of Battle Ready Ministries. And talking about their book, which is, it was prophetic. I mentioned at the outset, this is a book that was released the day before the so-called insurrection on Capitol Hill. It was very much during the pandemic. And now that the pandemic is officially over, um, and now we are looking at the aftermath of what has happened in the culture. Um, few would argue that we are living in the end times. Now, how long is it going to take for the Lord's return? Well, that, that's, that's, that goes without saying, and that's not for us to know necessarily. But we can know what's happening, and we can learn from guys with military battle background as to how to prepare our souls and to prepare our hearts for these end times, especially as we think about the upcoming election in 2024. The book by David Giamona and Troy Anderson is called The Military Guide to Armageddon, Battle-Tested Strategies to Prepare Your Life and Soul for the End Times. And we have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. We have not one but two copies of this book to give away. Give Crystal a call right now at 800-227-5278. 800 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Again, the book by David Giamona, retired Army chaplain, and Troy Anderson, who's the vice chairman of uh, Battle Tested Ministry, Battle Ready Ministries. The book is called The Military Guide to Armageddon. And using these military tactics, if you will, these are strategies that we can and should be putting into play here during these end times, these strategic times where the church is coming under greater attack, when our values are being tested, when the very American experiment uh, hangs in the balance. And as I've said many times before, as Christians, we have to be prepared to play away games here in the States until the Lord returns. Two copies of this book we're giving away today here on Super Tuesday, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Now, on the other side of this break, one of the weapons of the enemy that has been in place for quite some time, but is coming to a greater head, if you will, in recent weeks and months and years, has been the attacks on where just you and I live, you know, normal average everyday folk living our middle-class existence, you know, hunkering down, getting a job, maybe buying a home, raising a family, going to church, that type of stuff. That type of American lifestyle has not always been available to people, but it's been an attainable ideal for many, many uh, generations. 
Now it's coming under attack and you probably might be asking the question, well, why? Is it a shift in values? Is it a shift in faith? This, that, and the other thing. Uh, Victor Davis Hansen of the Hoover Institute recently gave a 15 minute presentation on this topic. I found it on YouTube last night. And on the other side of this break, we're going to get into it. Of course, Victor Davis Hanson, the, what do they call him, the contrarian agrarian. I mean, this is a guy who was, it was and still is a farmer here in the Central Valley for years. Um, but he's also a brilliant thinker. And I, I don't believe he's a man of faith per se, but when you hear what he has to say about why the middle class is important, why cultural elites want to see it destroyed, and the spiritual components that go into the argument for defending the middle class in our culture, um, well, there. Nothing will surprise me uh, anymore, but especially when you hear of a guy like Victor Davis Hanson, hopefully eventually uh, professing his faith in Jesus Christ. We'll get into that talk coming up next as the bottom line continues. You've been in an accident, and the worst thing you can do is to wait to contact Stephanie at Cover Law. Stephanie frequently talks to people who waited too long to seek help with their cases or tried to handle them on their own, and by then, it's too late. Family and friends mean well, but they can give truly bad advice. Often even trusted advisors will try and convince you to wait for more compensation. Stephanie knows the insurance companies want you to wait. They don't want you to file police reports, and they don't want you to reach out to Stephanie at Cover Law. That's because Stephanie is keenly aware of the tactics they use and why. She spent 20 years litigating for insurance companies and knows the strategy they will use to minimize their liability and your awarded amount. Insurance companies are for profit. They don't share Stephanie's Christian values, and typically they won't be fair to you. Don't deny yourself the ability to get better. Go with a proven expert in the field of personal injury and contact Cover Law at kbrightradio.com slash c-o-v-e-r today. I've used Stephanie Cover. My sons use Stephanie Cover. My daughter and son-in-law are currently using Stephanie Cover. We highly recommend her as an attorney, but also as a woman of faith who will fight for your rights and get you fair uh, restitution, as it were. Learn more when you go to kbrightradio.com forward slash Cover Law today. 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. Again, my thanks again to Colonel David Giamona and uh, Troy Anderson, the co-authors of an outstanding book, that uh, even if you don't have a military background, uh, the, you will benefit from the strategies that you see. Uh, ba Battle Ready Ministries is the ministry that uh, David is now the president of. Troy is the vice president and COO. And when you take military operational uh, strategies and you put them into practice, what you find is that, hey, I mean, this is... There's a reason why Ephesians 6 talks about the armor of the Lord and putting it on. That was not just for biblical times, that is for today as well. Uh, David and Troy have written a book called The Military Guide to Armageddon, Battle-Tested Strategies to Prepare Your Life and Soul for the End Times. We have two copies we're giving away today here on this Super Tuesday, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Oftentimes we see things happening in the culture and it seems like these are, you know, the things that uh, we could pretty much see coming, right? I mean, you could see the big push for gay, quote unquote, marriage, for example, as, as an assault on biblical values. And I realize there are a lot of people who would profess faith in Christ and also say, hey, I'm part of that community. And what about me? And to which I would say, you know, here's the thing. I mean, 
And you get right down to it. If you look at the Genesis account, and if you're a Bible-believing, professing Christian, you say the biblical account, the Genesis account, is the accurate account. So then you look at the way God created male and female, Adam and Eve, you know, and, and Adam has the XY and Eve has the XX. And we see what the pattern is, you know, chromosomally, we, we, we've been able to, you know, figure this out over the course of thousands of years, not necessarily millions of years. And then you ask the question, okay, well, what is it about the so-called heterosexual model that would make it biblical and the homosexual model that makes it unbiblical? And you can look at just the physical expression, what it does to the heart and mind and body of people who engage in it. And, and even when you see in scripture, when there are so many places in the Old Testament, especially where uh, we read that God actually gave people over to the lusts of their flesh. And if you know someone who has ever been an addict, someone who uh, is you know, just so addicted to drugs or alcohol or pornography or whatever it is, and there comes a point where it seems like they would rather have that than anything. Remember the old song, I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold or whatever. We as Christians must have that mentality. I want Jesus more than my nice house. I want Jesus more than my cool job or my status at church or whatever it is. I know that if all of that were stripped away, I still have my relationship with the Lord. When we see the way sexual expression is described in scripture, it, it's pretty clear that God created the sexual expression for a husband and wife to enjoy in the context of marriage. I mean, holy matrimony, that's it. So any sex outside of marriage is wrong. I mean, it's sin. And that's not just homosexual activity. That's, you know, multiple partners. That's people who are not married uh, to each other uh, engaging in this. I mean, whatever defiles the marriage bed is wrong in God's eyes. So it's not, unfortunately, the American church has spent a lot of time focusing on vilifying people engaged in same-sex relationships. But any sex outside of marriage, I mean, if you have a member of your elder board who's having an affair and you turn a blind eye to a deaf ear to that, but then you're out there campaigning and picketing, saying no pride flags, et cetera, et cetera, there's a hypocrisy there that we should be able to self-correct. We should be able to repent of that sin of hypocrisy and say, Lord, we, wanna, we want your will to be done, you know, first and foremost, and fairly according to scripture. We also take into consideration that Great Commission, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every nation. And we baptize those who respond to it in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. But then verse 17 of John chapter 3, God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world. So if we in the body of Christ are spending a ton of time condemning the world, uh, we're missing that whole part of scripture. I mean, our job is to bring the light of Christ into a darkened world and let the light do the work. Like John MacArthur says, you don't, you don't preach the, God, the, the Bible, you don't teach on it, you just unleash it and let the word do the work. In these strategic times, you're gonna get more hostility against that. We've seen it. Oh my goodness. I mean, on this week's edition of the National Crawford Roundtable podcast, we, we haven't recorded it yet. We'll be recording it tomorrow. We are anticipating having a sit down with the folks at 303 Creative and our friends at Alliance Defending Freedom to talk about what it was like to have that seven year battle. Was it Lori Smith, I believe, who basically just said, look, I want to be a web designer. I want to design websites for people who are engaging in, um, you know, the, the, those kind of... Uh, well, matrimonial websites, you know, here's all the information about my wedding and here's where we're registered and all that stuff. 
she wanted to do those sites for, for couples and she didn't want to do it for same-sex couples. There are scores of online resources available for people in same-sex relationships who want to use those services. But of course, the left wants total submission. And so, oh, we found one here. Let's go ahead and attack her. And, you know, it, it really is silly. If the name of the game were tolerance and acceptance and live and let live, the left wouldn't be so vilified and so angry every time somebody dares to disagree with them. But they're not tolerant. They're completely intolerant. Well, this is the battle that we're up against, brothers and sisters, and it's not going to get any better till the Lord returns. But what we have to do is remain faithful. And there are tactics and strategies that we can use to be more effective. Instead of just waving a Bible and going, I'm a Christian, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. I mean, they're not listening to that. Go to a sporting event, hold up a sign that says John 3.16, and someone else will hold up a sign that says E equals MC squared. So what? It does, no, it does. That's If you were a missionary and you went into a place where they didn't have written language and they had strange and bizarre customs and you were going to try to witness the gospel to them, what would you do? Bring out your ESV copy of the Bible and start reading it to them and say, I don't understand why they're not, you know. (laughs) You would learn the culture, you would learn the customs, you'd help them learn how to read and write their own language, and then it might take years. But we need to have battle-tested strategies. Our souls have to be ready for this. And that's why I love Troy and and, uh, uh, David's book. Again, it's called The Military Guide to Armageddon, Battle-Tested Strategies to Prepare Your Life and Soul for the End Times. Two copies we're giving away today at 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. On the other side of this break, we're going to get into some Victor Davis Hanson and why the middle class is under attack. It's a lot more sinister than you think. That's coming up next as the bottom line continues. Four. Okay. Um, What we are facing right now in the culture is people who are looking at things that are real and things that are very accurate. And instead of seeing for what they really are, they're looking for them in the way that they want to see them. Case in point, human baby. When a woman finds out she's pregnant, if you show her an ultrasound picture, a four-dimensional ultrasound picture, she sees a human baby. But to the left, what they see is, oh, no, an inconvenience. Oh, my goodness. Or maybe they see a profit center. Maybe they see something to be harvested, something to be uh, turned into money. Our friends at Preborn see the baby as a gift from God, see the child as perfect and on time, and see this as an opportunity to spread the love of Christ through the birth of this child. When a woman sees an ultrasound at a preborn clinic, what happens is she then has the choice of saying, I'm going to be a parent or I'm going to release this child for adoption. Very rarely will she put that child into an abortive situation. Your gift saves that life. 833-850-BABY, 833-850-2229. Call preborn with your donation today. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show, 800-227-5278. Two copies of this book we're giving away, The Military Guide to Armageddon, Battle-Tested Strategies to Prepare Your Life and Soul for the End Times. Just a couple minutes left in the giveaway. So if you haven't gotten in through the uh, to call yet, please do. Uh, Crystal's really nice and she'll talk your ear off or you can talk her ear off, but we only have five lines. So give her the pertinent information. And then what we do is we collect the names and then she'll go back and she'll contact you after we draw the winner. So um, it's important though, to prepare our life and soul for the end times. No question about it. And let's be honest. If you're like most of us, 
we think of the end times as something that's going to happen way past the time that we leave this earth. So the thought that it's happening right now and that we need to readjust our priorities is really daunting. Now, I, I was watching a thing on YouTube earlier today. It was at CBS News. Tom Bodette, Motel 6, we'll leave the light on for you, had absolutely no idea that when he was 20 years old, Tom Bodette was trying to change a, a light bulb and a light standard, got hit by lightning and got literally blown past, blown off and saw his life flash before his eyes. Um, he wound up becoming a very famous writer at NPR and doing the Motel 6 thing. We'll leave the light on for you. But he's 68 years of age now. But he said, you know, my, my priorities are a lot different ever since I basically died that day when I was 20. And I wish and hope and pray, I don't want to wish, I hope, that everyone in the body of Christ has the experience where someone tells you, hey, we're going to operate on you. You're going to operate on your, it's your heart. And that wasn't my case. And when you have to do the math and realize that if I didn't have the heart surgery when I did, I would probably be with the Lord right now and have to wrestle with that. Well, was I supposed to go in March of 2018? Was I going to have another year with the bad valve? Here I am now five and a half years later, and I'm thrilled to still be here and hanging out with y'all. But I mean, <laughs> you have to ask the question, but brothers and sisters, at some point, we will be with the Lord. All of this stuff that we're dealing with right now, we won't be dealing with. And I know it is so contagious, <laughs> so infectious to look at the world around us and say, if we could just fix things right now, stand up for what's right, but ultimately let Jesus be judge and jury. Our job isn't to Christianize the culture, it's to be faithful to the calling to which he has called us to. That is good news, and that's the bottom line. For our KCBC audience, Rabbi Schneider's coming up next. For those who remain on the network, got a whole lot of Victor Davis Hanson to get to and help us all understand why the middle class really is in play and what we can do to stand up for our rights. That's coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. Welcome back to The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Uh, Crystal's still taking your calls for the Troy uh, Newman and uh, or Troy Anderson, rather, and David Jamona book on the military guide to armageddon battle tested strategies to prepare your life and soul for the end uh we'll be taking those for a few moments more got two books to give away today so nice to have multiple winners 800-227-5278 800-227-5278 800-227-5278 the number to get you through to the bottom line okay let's get into this victor davis hansen clip it's about 15 minutes long. Tamara's going to put the entire clip up at thebottomlineshow.com. But I wanted to go through some of the highlights here. Because as we see the so-called battle for the middle class, and you wonder why there are such disparities between there's the government-dependent class, and then there's the super elites. And the middle class, as Victor Davis Hanson likes to say, are citizens who are soon becoming serfs, basically, uh, was it S-E-R-F, those who are basically subject to the landowners and everything like that. He's got some brilliant insights. Let's get to it now. Joel, if you would, cut number one. There was another idea that was very important to the origins of citizenship in the middle class. Society would not then be easily defined by rich and poor, oppressed, oppressor, exploited, exploiter, victimized, victimizer. There was no binary. And most of later Marxist philosophy, remember, or socialism always tried to suggest that history is a story of the oppressed and the oppressor and class conflict. 
but constitutional government and citizenship that empowers people and turns them loose to create their own economic futures and trajectories and protects their privacy and protects their property through inheritance and laws against confiscation by the wealthy or the state, that empowers a different group. And when you have that middle different group, then you avoid those simplistic binaries. And that's why almost throughout the philosophical tradition, those on the left cannot stand the middle class. They hate the middle class. They say the middle class is corrupt, or it's materialistic, or it's decadent, or it buys too many snowmobiles, or it buys too many Winnebago's, <laughs> or it doesn't know how to vote right. But what they're really getting at is the presence of a stable middle class prevents government from getting bigger and bigger and bigger, or from to serve the poor that gets bigger and bigger and bigger, or it, allow, it prevents people from getting wealthier and wealthier and wealthier. And so the middle class is always attacked by both the poor and the wealthy. You know, it's interesting um, when you think about where people are. And middle class, by definition, really depends on where you live. In California, for example, the middle class has been fading away so uh, swiftly that if you look at the tax brackets of people who file their taxes, there, something like 40 to 45% of the population is either making zero to $20,000 a year, 20 to 40,000 or 40 to 60,000. And then the next tax bracket is really 150,000 to 250,000, 250 to 400, and it goes up to like a million. And you'll say, wait, Roger, what happened to 60,000 to 150,000? That's kind of where your middle class should be. Those are the people who are saying, I can't do this anymore. I make too much to get government assistance, but I don't make enough to really be wealthy. So I'm selling my house if I own one and moving to Tennessee. But you can see the disdain that the left has for the middle class because they're educated, they're employed, they're working somewhere, they've got a home. Like the picture said, maybe they got snowmobiles and Winnebago's, but they're not elite not so poor that you're dependent upon the government, not so wealthy that you could lord it over other people, but you're still fully autonomous. Both the super wealthy and the super poor can be manipulated by the government and society, but the middle class can't be. Hence the reason why a politician will say, we need a strong middle class, where deep down they're saying, we gotta get rid of these guys. And fast. Let's get into Victor Davis Hanson a little bit more now. Joel, if you would, cut number two. There's another idea that comes from the ancient world that's important to remember, that something about being in charge of your own destiny combines the mental with the physical. That's a good and By point. that, I mean, in the pre-industrial world, most people were farmers. So they would get up in the morning and they would prune vines or they would have to plant olive trees, or in the spring, uh, late spring, they would cut grain or thresh it, but it was a constant physical job, but yet they were making decisions. How, how much manure per acre should I apply? When should I pick the olives? Should I plant more olives or more vines? It was a mental task. And to the Greeks, this combination of mental acuity and physical strength made the perfect balance. Now, we all can't be 
farmers today, only 1% of the nation farms, but we have all of these tasks today. The independent trucker, think about it. He has to have endurance to get on that highway for 16, 17 hours, but yet he has to make the decisions, which job shall I take? How much does diesel fuel cost? That's a very different mentality to driving a truck, let's say for Amazon. I'm not deprecating driving a truck for Amazon, but I'm saying it's a different activity. Yeah, it certainly is when you are an employee as opposed to a business owner. And this is the beauty of the gifting of Victor Davis Hanson, in my opinion. This is a guy who's a farmer by trade, who went back to grad school, earned a PhD, and now he's a Stanford fellow at the Hoover Institute. He's very conservative. I've said before, I wish he were a Christian, but there are guys like him and Dennis Prager. I don't know where they are faith-wise, but he's a very clear thinker. And the idea that he said, look, one of the middle-class values that you saw in earlier times, in agrarian times, was the farmer who was also a business owner. I mean, when you think about the farmer's wife who was co-laboring along with her husband, I'm thinking that's the Proverbs 31 woman making her own clothes and getting up before the sun is up and go, considering a field and buying it for crying out loud, going to the village square and, you know, selling her wares. I mean, this is, it, it's the essence of the same capitalism that what do we hear from the leftists, the elitists, the ones who've been to university? Capitalism is corrupt. We don't like capitalism because the rich get richer. Capitalism is corrupt. Okay. Let me see if I can find a good analogy to basically poke a hole in the capitalism is corrupt mentality, okay? Capitalism in and of itself is not corrupt. Capitalism is corruptible. How's that? I mean, when you think about capitalism, if you read the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis, you see the phrase in there where God tells his created beings, especially Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply. But basically what was in store for these people was, especially after Adam and Eve were rudely, well, kindly <laughs> escorted out of the Garden of Eden, is be fruitful and multiply. In other words, some of you are going to be farmers. Some of you are going to be, uh, uh, some are dealing with the grain, some are dealing with the fruit and vegetables, some are dealing with the, the livestock. And you're all going to be fruitful enough in your own business as to where you'll have enough to provide for your family and then to exchange with others in the marketplace who, you know, if, if I'm, if I've got the vine, I'm Mr. Vineyard and I need cattle and I need vegetables or whatever, then I'm coming over your way saying, I got extra grapes. Let's talk. And the guy with the livestock's going to do the same thing. There's nothing immoral about that. Corruption can corrupt a system, but the system itself isn't corrupt. And yet it's amazing to me how many cultural elites will say capitalism is corrupt because people corrupt capitalism. I mean, it's kind of a, a very simple overstep, but it's pretty easily correctable, is it not? Those of us in the middle class understand that if capitalism is working, if the free market is working the way it should, with a little bit of, I mean, government being the lifeguard sitting on the edge of the pool, blowing the whistle every now and again, saying no horseplay, you know, no diving in the shallow end, then capitalism is a great system because it was set up by God. God's not evil. God doesn't create evil. But if people who are sinful and evil get a hold of it and corrupt it, well, you know what can happen. 
Victor Davis Hansen is helping us understand the benefits of a solid middle class today here on the Bottom Line Show. And I, I'm so grateful that we have a chance to uh, open this up and give you a chance to hear what's going on. Uh, by the way, still taking your calls for the giveaways. Haven't seen our winner's name, Chef, but I know we got hit with a lot of calls. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, more of Victor Davis Hansen, especially getting into why it is elites are so... He'd mentioned the poor don't like the middle class. There's a little bit of class jealousy there. But why are elites so concerned that people who don't have the same titles and advantages that they do would actually be able to thrive? And what are some of the ways that we, who are in the middle class, can make sure that we stay strong, healthy, and vital? We'll talk about that coming up next as the bottom line continues. You know, one of the things that I love about working with preborn is the fact that here are these kids that, you know, God created in their mother's wombs, and we don't know how they were conceived in terms of, you know, the circumstances around it. We obviously know physically how they were conceived. But understanding that God creates everything in his time, he is sovereign, and the kids are always on time. The question then is, are mom and dad ready to be parents? The world will tell you if you're not ready, have an abortion, problem solved. But they don't tell you about the medical dangers of having an abortion. When you go to preborn, you get a preborn ultrasound and pregnancy test. You get to see those pictures of the baby, and then you say, wait a minute, 85 times out of 100, when a woman goes to a preborn clinic and sees the ultrasound, she chooses life for her baby. And if she chooses to become a parent, she gets classes, education, and assistance. And if she chooses to become an adoptive parent who releases that child for adoption, gets the legal direction that she needs to get the adoptive process started. Your $28 donation right now will be matched by a matching gift from Dennis Wilson at Wilson Financial. So give a generous gift. How about $280 to save 10 kids' lives, knowing it's going to be doubled? 833-850-BABY is the number to call, 833-850-2229, or go to kbrightradio.com and click on the preborn banner today. I wonder if Larry Carlton qualifies as middle class, not as a player. My goodness. Boy, good band backing him up there, too, on uh, Don't Give Up. Um, we're listening to Victor Davis Hansen today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh, your lifeguard sitting at the edge of the pool, blowing the whistle every now and again. I try to. I like that analogy. It's kind of fun. Uh, we're talking about the middle class at a talk a presentation that uh, Victor gave. I found it on YouTube last night. We're kind of wandering through some of the highlights about why the middle class is so important to a free society and how keeping a strong middle class is imperative. And that's why your cultural elitists, leftists, progressives, etc., want to destroy it. Uh, let's continue now with Victor's wisdom and insight. Joel, if you would, cut number three, I believe. And the same thing holds true of the business person. If you work for a corporation, you make very important decisions, but you may not be some hours of the day sh stocking your shelves, or you may not jump outside on a forklift to deliver the product into your warehouse. But the independent business person is responsible for his own destiny or her destiny, and one mistake can destroy their family. They're not a cog in a corporate wheel. So what I'm suggesting to you is Maybe we can't be all small farmers or we can't be all middle-class small business people, but we need this group to be present because without this present, you do not have these independent voices and we don't combine the physical and the mental and we take a, and of people who take responsibility for themselves. It's interesting, and he mentioned this in the clip that we played before the break, 
there's a big difference between the independent trucker and the guy who drives for Amazon. Uh, they both deliver goods and services to where they need to get to. The Amazon driver is delivering to your individual home kind of based on a grocery list that you order online, whatever service it is. And they're delivering 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We got a ping Sunday night. Uh, <laughs> and Lisa was a little frustrated. We'd ordered some things. They hadn't shown up yet. And we got a text saying, your order was just delivered. It's like 9.30. And sure enough, go to the front doorstep. There's five boxes sitting on the, the step. But that Amazon driver is driving for an hourly rate and hoping for a better opportunity. Maybe it's employment with the company in a management position and moving up. The independent trucker or the farmer is in business for themselves. They have to make every decision. It's not, I'm an employee, I wear the company shirt, drive the company car. And elites would rather have you driving the company car. Not only literally, but metaphorically. We saw this during the, the pandemic. Which businesses got hurt the worst? The big industries that we quote unquote can't live without airlines, cars, real estate, et cetera, et cetera, got propped up. Mom and pop businesses got squashed. You will be shut down. We might give you a personal, private, whatever, the PPP loans until we're just going to call that stuff in and you're out of business. How many small businesses went under during the pandemic? Elites love that kind of stuff. That's not capitalism failing. That's the government putting their finger on the scale. So what's the ripple effect? Let's continue now. Cut number four, Victor Davis Hanson, talking about the benefits of the middle class to all of society. Okay, so middle class citizenship is crucial in the history of constitutional government. Unfortunately, in our generation, it's eroding, and we can see it erode in a variety of contexts. The first is the average middle class income until 2017 was static for 10 years. For 10 years, average wages of the middle class did not rise. And while home ownership at the millennium at 2000 had reached about 65%, it was as high as it had ever been in the last 50 years, it still was not as high in the 1970s, in 1960s and 1950s when it was up to nearly 70%, and now it's declining back down to 60%. Why is that important? because the house is the modern representation of the ancient farm. It's something yes. that a person yes. owns, they have investments in it, they're attuned to make sure the house is kept up or their investment will be huge. lost. If you have two houses side by side, one is one you're renting and one you're owning, the one you're renting, you're not going to worry about painting it, you're not going to worry about fixing the roof, you're not going to worry about remodeling the one that you own are. It's an investment. And that mentality that you're not a renter, you're not a transient, you're stuck in one place and you're responsible for your community and yourself and your family and your home is very important. So in the American and Western concept in the modern age, home ownership became the modern equivalent of the ancient farm. And yet today, home ownership is on the decline. And that's a huge problem for our culture. Now, forget for just a moment personal tastes, right? I mean, there was a time when the home ownership was the American dream and something happened along the way. Now, he mentioned that uh, that uh, for a decade, uh, the middle class wages were stagnant. Let's be fair, get a little time frame here. 2007 was the beginning of, ironically, the Great Recession that was brought on by government policies that were designed to get people into home loans that they really couldn't afford. 
it was a gamble. We'll give you a two a two year arm uh, adjusted rate mortgage at bare bones, you know, hardly any interest, right? So you get used to making the payments. You're going to have to refinance that loan in year three. And here's the gamble. The gamble is either that the market won't be so bad that you could put it into a fixed rate mortgage and actually afford it, or that the market will have improved to the point where you can sell that house and get into another one of these and keep house hopping, which drives the price up. Well, that house hopping thing worked for a few years until it didn't. Pretty soon, people who really weren't qualified to buy homes had their, I'll be honest with you, there was a guy who used, I owned a condo at the time, it was a duplex, the people on the other side of our wall. She worked at a candy store and he was a dishwasher at a hotel restaurant, okay? They owned three properties at one point because they played that game. They bought the condo next to ours, our neighbor had passed away, and then they took out a loan on that one and bought another house, put relatives in that one to rent it, took out a loan on that house. I mean, you get the idea until it all came tumbling down. They couldn't make the payments and all of a sudden there were three foreclosures. But what's interesting is the style points people have now. I'd rather rent something new and have a really great lifestyle today. I'd rather lease an expensive car. Now, instead of saying, what do we did? We, we went out and found the most affordable place we could get our hands on. Maybe it was a one bedroom condo that wasn't all that pretty and it didn't smell that great, but you know what? By golly, we owned it. I never realized how important that home ownership step was and is when you see that 70% of people in America were owning homes and back during World War II, 70, 75%. And now it's down to 65 and it's on its way down. And by the way, one other observation, we got to take a commercial break here, but one other observation when we come back from the break about who was in the White House and what kind of rhetoric we were getting from that administration and how their words didn't even come close to matching their actions. If anything, they were the exact opposite. More from Victor Davis Hanson on the importance of the middle class coming up next as the bottom line continues. What do you mean by the fact that I have a 401k time bomb? eventually this thing is going to implode and you're going to have to pay the government. And so one guy was totally shocked when I told him that, look, if you leave this right now, your IRA to your three sons, each one of them will have to declare it and pay taxes on it immediately over the next 10 years. He says, well, they don't need the money. I said, well, the government doesn't care if they need the money. They're going to pay taxes on it. And that's what I mean by the fact that you're going to pay taxes. I had a guy say, did dad really leave me this? I said, yeah, he did. He didn't even know that they changed the law. Most people don't know that they've changed the law. And so it is a horrible situation, especially when there's ways you can mitigate it and not have it be so bad for the family and have it be better off for you. That's what I mean. We try to take the tick out of the ticking time bomb. Your 401k is a ticking tax time bomb. Leave a legacy for your heirs, not a tax bill. Call Dennis Wilson and his team today. 800-696-9970. 800-696-9970. Wilson Financial Services for simply better alternatives. Yeah, he reigns. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. And no, I was never in the Newsboys. Uh, well, I, I, I was in the background singing harmony with my mic turned off. Uh, congratulations to Vernita from San Diego and also Michael from Lake Forest. They are the two winners 
of the book that we gave away earlier today here on the program, The Military Guide to Armageddon, Battle-Tested Strategies to Prepare Your Life and Soul for the End Times, written by our guest today, Colonel uh, David Jamona and also Troy Anderson of Battle Ready Ministries. And we've got a link for that book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Before the break, I was talking about this clip from Victor Davis Hanson. Actually, there's about 15 minutes worth of them. We're not gonna be able to get to all of them today. But he made a comment about home ownership in the middle class. And he talked about how wages in the middle class were stagnant from 2007 to 2017. And I was talking about the Great Recession and how a lot of people in the middle class got caught up in the subprime lending debacle where people who really didn't qualify for loans, who should have had higher interest rates, were getting these really phenomenal rock bottom uh two-year adjustable rate mortgages where they basically had very little interest compared to market rates. And then in year three, the adjustable would adjust into a fixed rate. And sometimes that was like nine, 10%. The payment was too much. They had to walk from their homes. A bunch of them hap that happened all at the same time. We had the Great Recession. Do you remember who was elected president in 2008 and took office in 2009? The entire time President 44 was in office, we had super flat wages in the middle class. Now, to be fair, the first year or so, there was a lot of band-aiding going on to try to hold the economy together because the ripples were filled all over the place. But what did you hear in all the speeches from President 44? Shovel-ready jobs, a strong middle class, we're going to rebuild manufacturing, home ownership's a priority, yakety-smackety, blah, blah, blah. What did we get? Instead, we got 10 years of flat wages from the middle class, we had Dodd-Frank that made it virtually impossible for entry-level homeowners to purchase homes. We had declining home values, which meant that some folks wound up losing. I have dear friends who bought a condo at peak of the market. The market collapsed. Their mortgage was like $4,000 a month. Nice Christian family, and then they wound up losing the house. Another Christian family came in and bought it in foreclosure and agreed to rent it back to them for like $1,500 a month. It was a really nice God thing that happened to them, but I felt so horrible. I mean, here they were in this 1,200 square foot condo paying $4,000 a month. It was just nuts. But that bubble was ready to burst. President 44 talked a great game when it came to a strong middle class. But at the end of the day, he was an elitist, just like every other president we've had in our lifetimes, a globalist who wanted to see global elites profit even more. The 1% of the 1% saw their wealth increase fabulously during the administrations of President 43 and 44. President 45 shows up and all of a sudden the globalists don't know what to do because Donald Trump isn't reading off their script. So here comes Joe Biden and oh by golly, he's right back into it. But the reality is the left does not want the middle class to succeed. They don't care about your vote. One thing you'll hear in the Victor Davis Hanson clips, and I'm sorry we don't have time to get into them, but he talks about the move away from citizenship into serfdom. He mentioned it earlier. He alluded to it. Citizenship means I'm a homeowner. I'm a taxpayer. I'm a registered voter. I have the opportunity to work. I can buy the car I want to buy if I can afford it. I really have my own autonomy. I don't have to be super rich. I don't have to be super wealthy, but life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, I get to define that. Citizenship in this culture, in case you haven't noticed, has been going by the wayside, the values therein. Come to a place like the People's Republic of California and you actually seemingly have more rights and benefits being a non-citizen, an illegal, undocumented alien immigrant than you do being a citizen. 
Citizens wind up paying all the taxes for the people who aren't paying taxes. Not to say the people who come here illegally aren't paying taxes. Many of them are hardworking, taxpaying people. But you see the benefit of citizenship being devalued to the point where at some point, the people who rented because they wanted a nicer home and leased because they wanted a nicer car are going to find themselves basically in indentured servanthood. And as citizenship goes away, then we become that scenario Victor Davis Hanson described at the outset, the things that you saw in A Tale of Two Cities, Canterbury Tales, I mean, Les Miserables, it's the oppressors and the oppressed, and there's nothing in the middle. The middle ground is where we have autonomy, and that's been the strength and the beauty of the American experiment for 246, 47 years. So what to do? What do we the people do? First and foremost, remember, we believe this nation was founded on biblical principles. We believe that God gave us the laws that we have. Now, have we always implemented them properly? You tell me. The original documentation of the Declaration of Independence said that uh, we believe, we hold these truths to be self-evident, anybody could figure them out, that everyone is endowed with certain inalienable rights by their creator, our rights come from God, and among them, chief among them, life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. Now, it's extremely difficult to be guaranteeing life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness when 20% of your uh, electorate were in slavery. But this is the beauty of the American experiment. The idea initially was, this is the way to go. That is the goal that we're still aiming toward. And we're still working toward 247 years later in this country. But trust me when I say this to you, when this election comes around next year, the people who pray and seek the face of God will be casting the vote the way God wants us to vote. Will it turn out the way we think it should? That's up to him. That's the bottom line.